0: everybody. Welcome back to PAX Online. Not that you ever went away because it's happening in your house as everything is happening uh, right now. It's a delight to be with you from all parts of the world and all times of the day. Uh, Good morning from Australia. Uh, My name is Mark Morrison. My pronouns are he and him. And I uh, am a writer for Call of Cthulhu, and I also make fake money with campaign coins. Um, And I've got uh, some fabulous uh, people here, and we're going to talk about horrible things. So lovely people saying terrible things. We're going to talk about monsters. The monsters are among us. Uh, Let's meet uh, our fantastic panel. Take it away, someone.
1: I'm someone. Someone. Yay! Hi, I'm Becca Scott. Uh, I have a channel called Good Time Society. I also have done all kinds of tutorials for different tabletop games all over the internet, but um, recently have fallen madly in love with all things Chaosium and Call of Cthulhu. And so uh, I am a beginning keeper on my own channel there over on Good Time Society, in addition to having run a bunch of games over at Geek & Sundry, my... um second home for many years. And I am so honored to be here. Uh, good afternoon from Los Angeles. Yay.
0: And just before we move on, Becca, um, we're going to talk about monsters. Let's start. What's a favorite monster from a movie or a show?
1: Okay. This is very difficult for me to choose. I have a lot of favorites. Uh, I think, you know, Brundlefly oh, is one of Cronenberg's masterpieces, but that's not the one I'm going to pick. Uh, I really like uh, Slenderman. I guess just from the video game uh, and, you know, absolutely horrifying, uh, never look it in the eye or else it'll come for you and you never know where it will be. But no, the one monster that I'm gonna have to pick is the Weeping Angels from Doctor Who, the episode Blink in the reboot. uh, It it just, um, they are uh, statues that come to life and move when you're blinking. Nothing more terrifying than what you have no control over.
0: That is... You, you've technically cheated, but that is all fantastic. Let's uh, let's meet someone else. It's a cage match. Whoever speaks first goes.
2: Uh, hi. So my name is Amanda Hammond, and I am the editorial director over at Cobold Press. And this is a job that I am uh, fairly new in post, in fact, I am uh, just since July the editorial director of Global Press, which means that I am handling all of the scheduling for all of the various print products that we were doing as far as Kickstarters and softcovers and PDFs and the Warlock um, layers and the Warlock zine for our patrons and all kinds of uh, disparate publications that we've got. I am also uh, very recently the managing developer of Starfinder over at Paizo Inc. and was a co-creator of that game um, and have been a freelance uh, writer, designer, um, adventure writer, editor, developer for about a decade in various tabletop RPGs and systems. So I have been around um, and I've recently dipped my toes into uh, GMing streams uh, on Twitch uh, for actual live plays. And I had a, a Starfinder stream for a while and and there is an unannounced plan for the future of Cobalt Press um, that I will just drop as a spoiler here uh, very shortly. You so didn't hear going. it here first. That's right.
0: <laughs> Give us a monster from a That's movie right. or wow. show. So,
2: so I'm very into, I've been very in recent years into um, bug people and fly people and just all kinds of just gross, disgusting, uh, human-sized insectoids. I'm going to have to pick the fly from the fly because it's horrifying. And I feel like it's a very foundational horror monster that has gotten, um, has been inspiration for many tabletop uh, adventure lines and stories and things like that. So that's what I'm going to pick.
1: I shouldn't cheat. This is why I shouldn't cheat. (laughs) (laughs) Healing from other participants.
0: (laughs) I love it. All right. And waiting there in the dark in the, uh, looks like the, uh, the Michigan University, uh, who we got? In the corner, sir. Uh, and uh, please step forward, our final panellist looking in the corner.
3: Speak. Hello. Hello, Mark. I'm uh, Mike Mason, and uh, I uh, I work at Curseum, uh, where I'm the uh, creative director for the Call of Cthulhu tabletop uh, role-playing game. And uh, I've been um, running Call of Cthulhu, as well as many other role-playing games, for, oh well, probably over 40 years to be honest and and Cthulhu not quite 40 years but getting on for that and um, I spend most of my time um, as lead writer for the Call of Cthulhu line, commissioning editor, commissioning art and spending well all of my time either writing or editing Call of Cthulhu books which um, for some people um, might think that's a dream job and um, I guess it really is so uh, (laughs) I can't complain. so yeah, so uh, I deal with monsters pretty much every day of the week, I guess, in some some shape or size.
0: Uh, that's a very mean thing to say about your co-workers. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, uh, a monster fan from way back, uh, hit us with your choice, uh, assuming Becca hasn't already stolen it.
3: No, I haven't put I haven't put to uh, fly down. Although you know, I'm a big Cronenberg fan. Um, I, I, yeah, like everyone else. There's a million things I've been thinking about it all day. You know, I could have picked the creature from the Bat Lagoon because something about that monster has always, you know, been there in my head. Um, I could pick Alien, you know, from the Alien films because it's kind of a perfect monster in 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 it does everything you want it to do. But I'm gonna be, um, I'm gonna have to go with my uh, with my favorite film monster of all time, which is the one and only. Jaws, because <laughs> ah. it's a true, true monster. And the thing that makes it really scary is it's kind of real. <laughs> <laughs> and just like everyone else, especially when the film just came out, then the next time you went to the, uh, the seaside and, um, swam out your, your, mu-
0: uh, terrifying. Uh, and, um, that is fantastic. I love that all the monsters are different, and that they uh, uh, apply to they they work in a different way, and uh, they're really different choices. With uh, Slender Man that uh, acts according to its own rules. The Weaving Angels, which you can't stop. The Fly, as this organic kind of atrocity, and uh, of course Jaws, which is we're Australian. This is a this is a genuine concern. Don't don't traumatise me like this this early in the morning, right? mate. Um, <laughs> So the reason why we're talking about monsters is because when we run games, they're often full of monsters for some reason. Uh, and I'm not just talking about your players. But we, we can, as game masters, we can get a little bit lazy. Players can get a little bit too meta. And we can always become accustomed to monsters. And once we get used to the idea of monsters... Um, They begin to lose their power. So to make games exciting, we want to have fantastic monster descriptions because the reason why I asked about movies is that's where the special effects and the audio and the acting and the performance and the motion capture really comes in. And we want to bring that to the table, uh, not just like Slack like me on a Monday night. Yeah, whatever, it's a kobold. Sorry, no offence, Amanda. Uh, So let's talk about ways to um, uh, present monsters in a fresh way. Uh, and here's some advice from uh, the Malleus Monstorum, which was edited by Mike. It's a huge book of chaos him, uh, called The Cthulhu Monsters.
1: Kind of, He's kind everywhere.
3: Of, at least half of it written by me as well, Mark.
0: Uh, well yeah, then, um, I'm now going to read a quote from you to you, which is weird, but here yeah. we go. Uh, it's you good You remember
1: because you write so much.
0: Yeah, that's right. Each time you present a monster, present it afresh, make the description intense and visceral. A deep one is never just a deep one. It's a creature from the depths of the sea and as old as time itself, a creature whose very presence hits you deep in the gut, repelling humanity in a profound manner, causing revulsion and nausea. So presented afresh. What I love is, as I started to say that, outside my dog started barking, you know, the approved Wilbur Whateley fashion. So you mentioned monsters, dogs bark. It's all going off. So um, thanks, thanks for that advice, Mike. I'll just keep talking. You've already written the book. You don't need to say anything else. Um, but let's um, let's dig in. Let's you, you've said let's have fresh monsters. So let's prove it. Why monsters? Why are monsters? I think, um, Amanda, you you touched on that a little bit, talking about foundational monsters. Let's just dive in for a second as what monsters do, what they mean. um, What are we getting at? Because I think it's important to understand the psychology to freak people out. So yeah, um, yeah, talk about foundational monsters and what you were going through there
2: absolutely so i really believe that um when they're done correctly and when they um are are done well that monsters are truly the reflections of our own fears they are Mm -hmm. fears made manifest um the reason that the monster uh with a million eyes around its head uh and you know with a, a big lashing tongue attack and a massive jaws and gnashing teeth the reason that that's scary as well because it's a a scary visual but it also really preys on for example like body horror it preys on that visceral fear that many people have of trauma to their eyes or uh, you know like big teeth ripping through them Uh, and uh, it's really a way of getting into the player's head the the character's heads right and understanding what it is that they fear and ways that that can be reflected back in, yes, a surface-level horrifying visage of a nasty, terrifying creature, but things that are really getting into that um, the players and the character psychology, right? Um, What is it that they, uh, maybe from their background, that they fear the most, uh, or what is it that really just kind of freaks them out? Uh, And kind of playing on that and having the monsters reflect that is, I think, uh, one of the most effective ways that we can use monsters, specifically in a horror setting for a horror experience.
1: If I may jump in there, one of the subsets of uh, fear is that fear of what represents something within us. And I think your example of Brundlefly is really uh, a great example of this because it represents that monster in us. like We could turn into this grotesque monstrosity, and, and that's its own, you know, one of the many fears that we as humans have of all the things that go bump in the night. Uh, those things that we could turn into, especially yeah. or we're like, yeah.
2: Absolutely, you know we mentioned Cronenberg at the beginning of this panel, and I think he really dives into that fear of our bodies betraying us, things happening to our physicalities, us losing control of our physical forms, and that being the real terror, not the actual creature that's on the scene on the screen, which again is gross and weird and terrifying, covered in mucus and um, you know disgusting wings and you know nasty insectile eyes. That's all disgusting, but what's really the, the psychological fear is what you just said. The fact that people are, they don't understand how this happened. And if they don't understand how the monster happened, then it could happen to them. And that makes it on another level, I think.
0: That is is that that is fantastic. Mike, uh, from your recent deep dive to monsters, I think that's a bunch of things things we fear, things we might become.
3: Anything you want to add to that before we cover this? I would say, yeah. I mean, I think um, there is the. The fear of physical change, you know, which is a, an emulation of everyone's fear of growing old and dying, um, and it's kind of like a rapid acceleration of that in terms of a you know you you mutating or or becoming something other, and obviously when you say other, then that latches onto the your your the fear of the unknown, the fear of you know the, the, not knowing what what is beyond, not only physically but but uh, in terms of the. The passage of time and so forth, um, and um, it, it's it for me stems into this fear of loss of control. It's the fear that uh, not only is the physical the physical kind of loss of control that you know the, your body effectively starts to work against your you know your your intent and beliefs, but your mind as well. And um, and so that kind of uh, you know emulates very real fears that we have as humans in terms of you know who we are, what who you know. Who we define ourselves as being, that loss of being is an inherent fear that we all have, and, and monsters are um, often a uh, an emulation or a metaphor for that. That you know, for the, for the many fears that we all carry around, you know, whatever to whatever, whatever degree they are, um, but they you know they, they are a manifestation of uh, you know of our of ourselves, and you know we see that in you know, detective films and TV series where, you know, the monster is the the murderer or the villain or the serial killer. And then, it, you know, particularly in games and in more kind of, you know, fantastic films, you know, where the monster is, you know, is the alien or, or is the, the thing within us that comes out or the thing that came out of the swamp, you know, whatever it may be. And, um, yeah i think i think that a lot you know it's very much you know just sticking a monster there isn't very scary it's what the monster represents i think is what we're talking about
0: i i absolutely love this that's um so many great perspectives everyone and it's as creators and as storytellers i mean stories have a purpose they help us make sense of the world by fictionalizing it and and monsters have a purpose that we might not even understand we just want to stab, uh, you know, like just just have a a dramatic game. But understanding this really gives your monsters some power. But um, not too much power, people. Uh, Amanda, uh, the excellent section on consent in horror, in horror adventures from Paizo. It's a fantastic essay. Similar in Call of Cthulhu, Mike. Um, Absolutely be aware what the character is afraid of. The librarian is afraid of flying books. But if the player is afraid of something, don't go there, you know, like we're, we're here to have an enjoyable time and not actually traumatise our friends. Unless you play with me, I'm horrible. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> uh, but uh, do uh, just enjoy the expression of kind of, you know, good dramatic fun. Um, to jump
3: in there, Mark. Yeah, please. Just to say that, Yeah, I mean, to echo what you just said, It's we're talking about games. It's a game and games, are, you know, in theory are meant to be in some level of fun, on a scale of fun somewhere. And so it's a safe environment to explore these kind of, uh, you know, situations, monsters. And it may be as simple as, you know, we're, we're fighting monsters because it's good fun to have a fight with some monsters in the game to the monsters are scary and challenging our perceptions about the world and ourselves, you know, any, anything on that spectrum, I guess.
1: Uh, I, it's, yeah, it's, can I just say, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm I'm grateful to be digging deeper into this world at a time when, Amanda, I want to read your article when <laughs> this is such a thing. I mean, the last game that I ran, I definitely had that conversation with my players, which please let me know. Of course, these are the things that I'm going to stay away from just because they are, they're not places I want to go. And then please let me know if there are any more for you that are really, really triggering. I'm glad that these conversations are not... That they're normal now and, uh, and that we're more inclusive in a lot of different ways, including you so wonderfully, Mark, uh, listed your pronouns at the top, which I should say she, her, uh, but for me, um, but like all these things are subtle, easy adjustments uh, that make people so much more comfortable and let so many more people in. And I love that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I talk about this at length in most of the horror panels that I'm on and run. um, And I think it's appropriate here too to just suggest having a session zero in which you sit down and discuss uh, with your players, you know, uh, where are lines, where are veils, and that is the name of a, a system that can be used for safety measures. There's a bunch of different things out there that can be used, but basically just setting those boundaries in that social contract and, you know, just making sure that players know that you um you know you don't want to accidentally harm someone and if there's something that they aren't comfortable with they should tell you and if something comes up that they're not comfortable with and they didn't realize you know they should also talk to you and being vigilant as a game master doing all of that prep work at the beginning will help you avoid some very um uncomfortable and unpleasant
1: situations
2: so you know 100% having that conversation is important i agree
1: can i ask it, you it
0: is you really, really you unlikely. unlikely oh sorry Oh, go. just
1: want to ask Amanda, do you also do like um this isn't something that I've done a bunch but like a cool down session afterwards to make check in? Is that yeah, a, it depends of- on what happens. I run a lot of horror games and write a lot of
2: horror games and it's very it's very situational and it's very um subjective, but when something happens and somebody clearly has a reaction, I totally will just kind of hang back and maybe we'll just chat, you know, as a whole group or maybe I'll um, go to the person if it's one person who has clear, clearly you know had a reaction and, and just want to talk to them about it. I, I do think that that's kind of important just kind of, you know, get yourself out of the game mentally calm down cool down see how it goes and you know just kind of read the room really. So that's, yeah, that's
0: or, great- or, or the Zoom meeting, as the case may be. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Well, these days, right?
0: <laughs> I, I think it is unlikely that anybody has a phobia of a giant owl that is a bear and yet an owl. Uh, <laughs> but, but some people are scared of spiders, so maybe lay off the arachnids for that person. But um, it's game time. Uh, so you're getting ready for a game. Uh, and uh, you can all imagine it because you've done such a thing. You've chosen a monster. Okay, either it's in the scenario, or you're doing your own thing and you think, okay, I'm going to use that one. So um, to to help other game masters, what kind of uh, prep do you start to do before you get to the table, uh, having been given a monster or chosen it? So what kinds of things are you doing on the way in?
2: Um, well, I mean, I'll, I'll jump in and answer that. I'm running uh, a largely, I would say, about 90% homebrew game right now, in which I'm doing that pretty much every week. And uh, aside from random encounters, right, which are just things that you roll, you roll percentile and the players encounter them and they fight something out of the bestiary, theory, right? Um, a lot of times when I'm doing my session prep, I'm, I'm expecting we usually play for about four hours in this game. I'm expecting two or three combats um, maybe. And so a lot of times I kind of over-prepare, so I'll have something ready for next time. But I try to pick very narrative-specific monsters um, that have got to do with what's happening in the campaign. It is largely kind of a sandbox campaign, so in this instance, um, where I think the players are going to go and what makes sense for that area. Um, So I'll use an example from last week, which was that I knew the players were going to go to an area where they were going to find an old abandoned um, temple from a Cyclops uh, civilization from thousands and thousands of years ago. And uh, this particular game has got... uh, a pirate cultists of um, specific arch devils in the game. And so they are trying to track down who's involved in this. And I knew that they were going to go to this temple. They're being led to this temple to, to figure out a thing. And, um, You know, that was part of the backdrop of the campaign, that the Cyclops Empire has been there, and one of the characters um, is actually, like, specifically studying that empire, so that's kind of how I I pulled him into the game. Um, But what I did was, I was looking for, you know, what kind of encounters, I knew there's going to be something that they have to figure out um, and face at the temple, and... Um, I pulled basically a a, a modified Cyclops stat block, but I realized like, oh, if it's from this ancient civilization, it's not just going to be a random Cyclops who's wandering around at this temple. It's much more compelling to have this be somebody from that civilization who uh the cultists have kind of raised as an undead guardian of the temple and so i picked out uh, i put an undead template on the cyclops thing and i described him um in a uh this is this is a very kind of like psychic sort of extra planar campaign so one of the the characters end, ended up like object reading on this old gravestone that they found and they got the scene of this uh, ancient um, Cyclopean king who was being buried and how he was uh, wrapped in these precious shrouds and he had uh, strings of precious gems all around him and he had a crown and he had a torque necklace uh, and described that in excruciating detail and the character is like, oh, that, then this really important thing happened. And then they travel up to the temple and the guy's there and it's this mummified Cyclops. So I did a lot of prep work putting um, the stats together to make sure that it was an appropriate threat for the group's level, but also that background narrative. What does he look like? What is he able to do? Um, what happens to, to him when they attack him? And there was, a, there was a narrative-driven scene of like, oh, they figured out that he was, he was bound to the temple, and so they actually ended up freeing him and not fighting and killing him, but that was a choice that I wanted to put in front of the characters. So that's a very convoluted answer to your question, but... Uh, oh, this a good. wonderful answer. I want to play in your game. <laughs> 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 the simple answer is, like, putting a lot of thought into the background of the creature, where it came from, what the story is, maybe why it's relevant to the characters, if it is at all, and what is going to be memorable about that rather than just pulling a stat block from a random encounter, having it be... Huh? something that's like a bookmark in the campaign is my advice.
0: That's a, a fantastic, really holistic approach. And if, if you know the monster, you can describe it. I love that. Um, any, uh, just before we we get on to the description, uh, Mike, anything else you think is helpful when prepping uh, to bring a monster out? I mean, that was a superb example.
3: I mean, yeah. I mean, Amanda covered, you know, that very well. Um, and I think, you know, obviously there are differing game styles with different games and obviously, you know, to point out the obvious in Call of Cthulhu, there is no wandering monster tables. So you don't have that kind of random element. Uh, and the reason for that, it, it, and, and as Amanda pointed out in terms of how how um, how the kind of monster gets crafted in, in the games, you know, as described, it, it's about understanding what is the motivation of the monster? What Why is the monster there? What is it meant to do in terms of the game in terms of the scenario and in terms of the the scene drama, um, you know, it, because um, particularly obviously with Call of Cthulhu monsters, they're, they're often, if not as intelligent as the player characters, they're often more intelligent. So they are not there to stand around and stand around and be hit by you know some uh, a bunch of investigators wielding cricket bats and point forty five autos. Because if they start that, the monster's going to go, well, no, I don't need to stand here. Goodbye and leave.
0: Say so that's yeah, uh, just quickly. Yeah, please
1: uh, go. I'll make it short. Um, cause I know we have a game to play, uh, but I have always approached it a little differently because every time that I've run a game, it's been, um, for a stream. So I'm considering it both a game for my players as well as a show for the audience. And so in that sense, I want to make sure that it's structured in such a way that it has a beginning, middle and end and that there is are hints of what they are to face in the in scene, uh, throughout as Amanda brilliantly did with laying the groundwork of of her her players rolling to find out about the king of the Cyclops um, and then later encountering so you get those drops of storytelling along the way and yeah to Mike's point I love that uh, it is a character you know it is an NPC like a human or whatever sort of NPC the monster has a perspective and a point of view just like any player character and, and wants to accomplish tasks so you know making them uh, also have goals and dreams and aspirations as a hideous monster makes the story more compelling <laughs>
0: um but you've hit upon something fantastic there is uh, and we really want to get to the guts of um some some tips on how to describe the monsters but you've talked about uh with the beginning and the hints describing the monster before it's there so what what kind of things are you doing to foreshadow the monster becca
1: Oh gosh! Before uh, well, I'm, I'm no expert like Amanda is, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean I I like to just leave a trail of corpses whenever possible uh, that <laughs> that players can ex- inspect to find out what mysterious way or what uh, what appendage of this hideous monster and or what type of you know gouging of organs occurred uh, and learn oh this is something that. Rips off heads, and I should probably make sure I keep mine firmly attached uh, before encountering this thing.
0: Trial of corpses, classic. Uh, Mike, other other cool ways to foreshadow. What's
3: what's coming up? Okay, so um, you built the inner scenario. You're building up the the monster, and the player characters find some sort of you know tunnel or lair. And uh, then they find that the monster they think they're hunting, they find it dead, killed by something worse. Because at that point, they suddenly realise, oh, we thought that was really bad. Whatever killed that must be, you know, and the penny drops. And suddenly they are really focused on what you're telling them.
0: That is, I'm still that tomorrow night that's amazing
3: (laughs) i love
1: that well that goes to subverting expectations or like pulling the rug out from exactly what they expected which is always so much fun to watch the reactions of Uh, and the
2: unknown there becomes so much more powerful right where they have gotten like a gazetteer of where they think the monster lives and you know all of its ecological details and like this is the thing that we have to take down and then they are like Oh my god, but there's something that's worse that could be literally anything and who knows where it is and what it does. I think that's great advice, Mike. I really love that.
0: So uh so let's um let's bring out some monsters. Um we've had some some hints, uh trail of corpses, uh we found the monster we thought we were hunting dead. Uh things are getting even worse. So um I we haven't said Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time it is, wherever in the world to chat. Hello, chat. Yay, are you chatting? Quick chat. What's your favorite movie monster? Chat, chat crazy. Because uh, now we're going to give you a guessing game chat. And the guessing game is also going to be played here live on stage, whatever this is, as each of our expert game masters is going to describe a monster. And uh, you in chat can be first to say it's this uh, because you're a complete nerd, but we love you for that. But they're going to try to flummox you with the power of description. So I think uh, let's, uh, let's Becca, let's uh, put you in the chair first. first.
1: Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Well, let me, let me make you all my players for a moment. As you hear a rhythmic scuttling on the cold marble floor behind you, and you turn, and what makes your body start to shake uncontrollably, and your brain tells your legs to run but they can't, is a creature. stands before you eight feet tall. It has a globular torso balanced on six sharp crab-like talons, moving in concert like a spider might. In place of its hind legs, it has a snail-like flap that drags behind it with the slurping suction, and it stares down at you with its triangle of three bulbous eyeballs bulging in your direction. As the gills that run down the sides of its spherical body ripple and intakes air, you realize... What you thought were tiny feelers all over its body and encompassing its bulk are in fact alert tentacles, each with a hungry-looking mouth on their tips, searching for flesh. And as it pounces, you feel a thousand tiny piercings everywhere at once before it all goes black. As players, you didn't have much uh, opportunity to run there. I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> Should have rolled better.
1: Wow, now, Mike. If you don't know your own monsters, I'll be very disappointed.
0: All right, we're gonna we're gonna put him on mute for a second and put Amanda in the chair. What monster was that? Do you know?
2: Oh, so I am just like Becca, going to put chat and everybody watching in the seat of the players. Mm.
0: No, I was not clear. Do you know what monster? Uh, can you identify the monster that? Becca oh, can I identify
2: now? the monster? Oh, well, I know it's a. I'm pretty sure it's a Mythos monster. Mm. Oh gosh, um, mm, the actual name of it is not coming to me so well that's, done with that description becca uh, that <laughs> oh, is fantastic that's reaching deep, deep into
0: the monstrous uh malorum <laughs> to pull out something to surprise mike yeah. all right you, you 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 lost your job if you don't know what this is you're just gonna be
3: well no don't don't set me up like that uh, <laughs> right i mean what it, it brought to mind it, it it brought to mind a mythos deity rather than a monster i kept thinking of galaki all the time that kind of slug kind of form and and the kind of covered in kind of tentacles and and the kind of that's what stuck in my head and of course once it comes in your head you can't stop thinking about it and i, and I know it's not quite right but uh, i don't know um that's fantastic all right. Uh, I, what I, I
1: feel very proud. Well,
3: and I love that. It
0: is, this is exactly what we're talking about. Keeping the monsters fresh, the power of description. You have fooled the author of Monsters Bellorum Now, uh, what was it?
1: It's, uh, you know, Cthulian pronunciation. Um, bear with me on that. Uh, Ron Tagoth.
3: Oh, crikey.
1: Big yeah. <laughs> <laughs> eyeballs, big brown guy I, 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 with I, just crab I legs.
3: <laughs> In my I'm defense,
1: the spider also. crab.
0: <laughs> All right. Oh, Mike is literally frozen in horror. So we'll wait for uh, the dark gods of the internet to bring him back from uh, the, the lines and veils to which he has plunged. There you are.
3: <laughs> uh, am I back? Yes, you are. I was saying, in my defense, I've just spent like over a year writing monster descriptions for over you know over two hundred and fifty. Monsters and gods, and that, and unfortunately, they do blur in my mind <laughs> a little
1: bit. Yeah, that's
2: I fair. hear
3: that. <laughs> it's and you're talking about Ramteg off. so uh, yeah, I can see. Yeah, no, it was a great description, uh, Becca.
0: And there it is, there it is. Yeah, an evil tome being printed now, presuming the printers survive. Love it! I love description and uh, arresting. So um, uh, let's let's go, Mike. Uh, let's uh, bring in you to describe a monster, and uh, for people on chat to see if they can tumble to it. Okay,
3: um, it's a uh, it's a dark and stormy night, and you've entered into a uh, uh, this dark building. And uh, you are searching around, you know, for some sort of clues or evidence. And you've the main kind of room on this floor. And uh, you notice, the first thing you kind of notice is that the air, the air in this room seems to be, it seems to suddenly grow very heavy, almost pressurized. You feel almost weighted down on the spot. And this shift is accompanied by, accompanied by the sudden taste of chlorine on your tongue. All, all your senses begin screaming that s- something is not right in here suddenly there's a, another shift in air pressure and and the darkness seems to spiral in front of your eyes almost like a, a trick of your light co- confusing your senses something something large seems to be coming through the wall it's 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 a kind of a, a new and heady smell assaults you and it, but there's something about it that reminds you of the reptile house at the zoo kind of a musty and earthy smell your eyes try to make sense of the movement there's you you spy these long talons reaching forth on on these bulbous and segmented arms you see growths of hair sprouting from thick plate-like skin like like some immense beetle yet yet unlike any beetle ever seen on this earth as as this thing seems to coalesce in the darkness a terrible dread begins to build in your heart as you see finally it's misshapen mouth more like a morning yawning moor, that begins to open and yet is silent
0: all right our panelists what was that what was the last thing you saw
1: I can jump in first. Okay, so the chlorine seems to be a good giveaway. Long talons. Um, I I was thinking, because it sort of materialized through the wall, maybe a, a... I don't know how you pronounce the double L, but a, a ligor, um, because that can sort of like be corporeal or not corporeal. Um, but then you said chlorine and this musty, watery, uh, uh, moldy thing. So that makes me think like a deep old one or like Dagon.
0: Or all like right. Dagon. <laughs> <laughs> Holy buff, they're all terrible. What do you got, Amanda?
2: Oh my gosh. So I keep fixating on the beetle description, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like, Beetle-like peoples uh, that are, I think, in the in the mythos. And I'm, but I like. I was trying to catch size in that description, and I think maybe it's something bigger than that. So I'm not 100 percent sure.
0: All right. So chat will know if they tumbled to it, and you can think, you know. Uh, I like games. Six six six. Love your work.
1: Uh, oh, but I my, you what did a really good job. You. <laughs> okay. So the,
3: the big the big clue was the beetle and the segmentedness and the hair. Suspense! Ooh. Oh my goodness! <laughs> He's tapped out. Such
1: Love. dramatic moments to I, freeze. I, I
3: tried to avoid using the words "dimension" and "shambler" because
1: that's a bit of a Okay, that would have. Oh, been I insane. saw that right before this right. stream, and I couldn't remember. I was like, and then there was that one. Well, whatever, dimensional shambler. So um. What I
0: what I love about this is that you've both chosen uh, monsters and described them in such unique and refreshing ways that you literally have fooled the experts. You've 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 fooled us all, except for I like game six 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 in chat. That person is on fire. (laughs) So um, the other thing I loved about the techniques, and I'll I'll build a little bit more, is it's that real. I mean, uh, Lovecraft himself would pile on the adjectives, and you almost wanted to transfix us in horror to have that sensation like I'm just I'm not going to stop this description I'm going to keep telling you worse and worse things as your tension is rising and rising until you can go we run uh which is just fantastic work so Amanda you get to cheat you're not going to tell us a monster we can guess you're going to cheat oh, tell us how you're going to cheat
2: by the rules that's a secret to cheat I mean sometimes
0: <laughs> all right
2: Okay, so you're all players, and you're walking down a mountain. Oh,
0: no, I, I just want to put a little uh, refresh. Um, this is a monster that has not yet been seen. It's
2: true. Uh, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll preamble, yes. So this is a monster that is forthcoming in uh, Kobold Press. Um, hardcover called Home of Beast 2 that will be um, shipping uh, to backers uh, in just a few weeks and also will be available uh, through all retail channels uh, in November. And so uh, Home of Beast 2 is um, a book full of 400 monsters for 5th edition games. There's lots of Midgard stuff in there which is the campaign setting that um, is the home of Kobold Press, but there's also lots of uh, non-setting specific monsters that you can set in there and that is going to be one that I will be describing
0: So because this is a new one, uh, Mike and Becca, rather than try to guess what it is, we just want to hear what you're going to do about it. All right, so (laughs) what are you going to do? There you go, chat. Chat, you can can just do your chat thing. Chat on, (laughs) chat bros and chat other people. All right. uh, Amanda, you have the floor. Chat all news. right,
2: so you Chat are all uh, players and you are making your way down a mountainous trail through a slender valley. Um, you are coming across a little signs that there may have been another group of adventurers, perhaps, or just merchants, travelers, that have um, preempted your journey down this trail. Uh, and you are not no stranger to danger on this trail. So the first time that you see some scuff marks in the dirt is not terribly surprising. This is not a very safe area. However, you start to become more and more alarmed as you notice that there uh, are what look like perhaps limbs that have been torn off uh, of some sort of humanoid um, individual, some people perhaps. And as you are walking further and further down this trail, you notice that first off in the distance, there's a crag, a tall crag, probably about 12 feet tall. Um, that is jutting out of the side of this mountain, um, this valley that you're traveling down. Uh, And even more disturbingly, right in front of you, there uh, is indeed a scene. What you thought were severed limbs are actually the remains of several bodies that have been torn limb from limb, gashed everywhere with blood just sprayed on the ground uh, in various patterns that indicate a violent struggle there are teeth marks and claw marks taken out of the flesh uh, where it looks like they've been attacked by something vicious and you stop dead in your tracks. As you notice that crag off in the distance, there's a head that's peering out from behind it. And it is a uh, disgustingly bloated, pale, uh, bald headed, uh, uh, huge jaws, with uh, a maw of gaping teeth that opens and its humanoid and it looks at you and you can tell that you've attracted its attention as it's slowly rising up from behind the crag. You see uh, just as bloated as the head and the neck and the shoulders, two thick arms, uh, riv- um, just um, rippling with muscle and nasty uh, blood dripping off of its claws. And it hunches itself up and starts to rise up. And the most horrifying thing is that where you would expect to see a belly and a lower body, you simply see another segment. You see a bulbous segment with shoulders and arms, and then another. And then another and then another and there are a dozen of these torsos all fused together with two dozen arms and a dozen heads with its disgusting teeth as it roars all at once in a cacophony of hatred and pain and starts to lunge over for you 12 feet tall as it stands up uh, at its tallest. What are you going to do?
1: Mike, shall we run screaming in opposite directions? Um, okay) <laughs> <laughs> The thing with
2: its inhuman voice is bent on making you just as destroyed and torn up uh, as that party that it attacked right before you. No, thank you. (laughs) Very
0: good.
1: That was incredible. Oh, what a terrifying monster you've created.
2: Yeah, so, you know, um, discussing that monster. So that is... Uh, As you might have maybe recognized, I'm going to actually let folks guess at there's a component creature that this is made up of, and then the fact that it's all kind of put together gives it its name, but its component creature is part of its name. So can you guess what that uh, humanoid-looking creature that I described possibly was? Oh, it's a fairly common Dungeons & Dragons monster, so anything that you throw out might be correct. Just a bunch
1: of trolls stacked on top of each
2: other. Or a human centipede. You are very close, Becca. (laughs) It's not a troll, but it is. You are very close. It is another giant-like humanoid. And it's a bunch of orcs. Oh, you're so close. You are, again, so close. (laughs) You've got the beginning right. You said, oh. Oh. Oh, oh Mike, help me out it's ogre ogre and becca mentioned human centipede it is in fact an ogre pede (laughs) we got it yes yes Yay! it is horrifying it's art that we threw out there very early on and everybody just went oh my god nope 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 (laughs) oh god i'm googling i'm googling (laughs) yeah It's on the cobalt press Twitter. (laughs) It's a massive, huge size, (gasps) I believe, undead ogre pee. A (laughs) wizard, we think. (laughs) Oh, is Mark? Mark,
0: Thank you. My dog was barking. Uh, I, too, was struck with horror. Thank you. Uh, You're on mute. They are monsters that can mute you. (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm going to break down some of the, the techniques that you guys were laying out. So we had a whole bunch of things going on. The notion of loss of control uh, within our own bodies as our physical bodies reacted against. This notion of sensation, losing power in your legs. Um, we talked about the, a lot about the physicality of the monster, uh, its size, the way it occupies space. Um, what it's going to do with you. A lot of talons, a lot of claws, a lot of teeth, a lot of muscles, a lot of power um lovely sensations of taste Chlorine, the smell, the kind of the 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 other pressure, this sense of air pressure, um, the different kind of threat. A lot of descriptions of things we recognise, like crabs and spiders and beetles, but in a total way that we don't, uh, we cannot relate to. So this is a real grab bag of techniques, and I love the emphasis on sound, taste, smell to really make you feel like the thing is there. Um, so those are wonderful examples and very specific, um, what are some other tips that you can just, just throw in at random, just some other things that didn't pop up in the monster you had, just some, some quick ways to really give your monsters um, you like to throw in the description to get people going?
1: I meant to do this with mine and then got distracted, but you mentioned all the senses. Whenever you're in doubt, just list all five and go from there.
3: Absolutely. The, the, we, we all naturally kind of start with what it looks like and actually, often it's we hear it, or we sense it, or we smell before we see. You know, we before we get that close to seeing it. So, for-
0: and I'd also like seeing the, the corpses as well. Sorry, Mike.
3: Yeah, because in-
2: why?
0: All right, Mike. Every time you lay down some mythos wisdom, uh, the gods <laughs> of the internet are hating on you. So, uh, Amanda, pick it up while uh, Mike comes back from the uh, the the space between the the gulfs of space.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, you know, I really think that uh, I think that focusing on trying to put yourself in the headspace of what would a person notice the most about this monster if there was an actual person and this was an actual thing, what is it that would really sort of jump to your mind? And in some ways, it's kind of like uh, writing fiction a little bit and sort of describing what those initial visceral reactions are Um, that will really, I think, put the characters in there. So it is stuff, uh, like, you know, the most, one of the most prominent visual features or a smell that really hits you, you know, very, um, viscerally or, um, you know, like a noise that you can hear that it's making that it's, uh, it is really like assaulting to your ears physically or is just really kind of strange. It really jumps up P- picking out those things that uh, are strange and different and unique and uh, are, are really arresting from a, a sensual perspective is is I think key and like a thing that I try to do, uh, and it makes players like Becca was kind of reacting before, just be like, "Oh my gosh, what is even happening?" Rather than like, "I guess it's another ogre, and we're just gonna <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah, spot on. Okay. Uh, that's that's uh, that's just me lazy on a Wednesday night, but um, <laughs> you do want that sense that it's not just a bag of hit points. So yeah. in Call of Cthulhu. People are probably running or they're dealing with it another way. Maybe they're firing shotguns, um, puff under, a uh, D&D, they're starting to fight. Now that the monster is it's just a sack of hit points and really it's the equivalent of a walking Excel spreadsheet, how are you keeping that threat going, that description going as the scene proceeds?
2: Mm, that's a good question. Um, So I guess I'll just jump in. So I really am a fan of um, very, uh, in a very detail-oriented way, describing um, telling rather than showing what's happening, what the monster's doing. And for me, that's pulling out stuff like, what is its attack actually doing, you know, um, in like a Pathfinder or a Starfinder or d and um, there's often just like, well, the monster has a slam attack or the monster has a bite attack. Like, I don't just uh, roll to hit and say the monster's biting at you. Like, I'll describe it in a narrative way. And it doesn't even need, you don't even need to use that many more words. It's really um, just the the action oriented, right? Rather than just saying, does a 21 hit your AC, you want to say, well, the monster opens its jaw wider than you ever possibly think that it could, and it reaches its uh, it reaches its mouth over your head, and it starts to chomp down. Let's see if you're able to jump out of the way before it crashes down onto your skull, and then you roll. And you know whether it hits or it doesn't. Then that really kind of builds the story for how the fight is happening and what the monster is able to do. Um, because I think it's much more interesting to build a story. Um, And the combat rather than just, you know, roll to hit. Oh, you miss. Oh, I hit. Oh, I miss like that just gets really boring to me and I'm not as interested. So um, describing what it's describing what it's doing and how it's hitting and the way it's crunching through bone or the way it gashes open your shoulder or the way it tears into your armor. I mean, just thinking about what's actually happening rather than just the numbers on the page and how the die is rolling, I think is much more compelling.
1: Yeah, my answer is similar. So I just want to jump on the back of that is uh, what never let the monster do anything the exact same way twice. Of course, they have the same attack. But uh, yes, and because I come from improv, uh, yes, and whatever your player just did. So if the player did something that left them in a vulnerable position, well, great. Now you're it's like a dance and you're in this movement. So so really picture it for yourself. And sometimes when you're not sure exactly what that is, just Close your eyes for a second. Take a deep breath for a second, and then oh, I know, I know a different way that they could run and then dive at you and then bite at your ankles and swipe and try and knock you off your feet instead of just uh, claw. You know. Yep.
0: Um, Mike, what about when the monster runs out of hit points?
3: <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> a lot of colicathelia of monsters can't, can't die. They, they they may they may they may occasionally run out of hit points, but they can reform sometimes, or they just, uh, you know, magic themselves away before they actually die. Um, but in, uh, in, the, um, in the Malleus monster you know, all the monsters have, they very descriptive, and not all of them are attacks. Some of them are, you know, how they, inve- how they affect the environment, or how they affect the characters, you know, just by their their presence being there. And I think, as you know, as Beck and Amanda have said, it's that kind of, you know, using the monsters as drama. You know, describing, you know, what they do. Be be fresh about it. Be be, you know, use them to drive the drama of the situation, uh, because most players will, you know, will engage with that drama, and hopefully, kind of, you know, engage and do risky things, and you know, which. Sometimes we'll land them in a worse situation, or give the monster <laughs> an advantage, or the the players get an advantage, or whatever, and um, you know, really kind of um, you know, dramatize and make it feel like it's um, you know, it's it's all or nothing on this. You know, if, if they, you know, if uh, sometimes with Cthulhu monsters, it's not about attacking the monster; it's trying to the monster or keep the monster away long enough to survive the encounter. And so, um, you know, presenting, you know, in presenting that in 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 a, in a variety of ways is uh, you know, makes it compelling and, and engaging.
0: I absolutely love that, and I feel like we've come back to where we started. And it's how do we keep our descriptions fresh? I don't think we need to believe it or not. I reject the whole concept of this panel. We need to keep us fresh. We need to keep us as storytellers fresh, and know that it's about drama. And if it's always compelling. And it's not so – and we're always in that moment with that threat and danger and every step of the way and this wonderful notions of after the fact that if we bring that energy, then people will always be transfixed, even if it's the 99th Cobalt of the Week. Sensational. Um I want to just run off and run a game, but it's nine o'clock in the morning in Australia and that's a bit extra, so I guess I better not. But you have inspired me and I really hope you've inspired all the people at PAX Online. So um, let us say farewell. Uh, Please thank them in chat. I don't know, hand claps, uh, whatever, how we do this type. Yes, good job, uh, good game. But um, let me see. Uh, uh, Let's just finish off with um, uh, where people can... uh, I think we're we've covered where can we find some of your monstrous work to follow up everybody let us farewell everyone uh so amanda
2: Sure, yeah, I'm happy to start. So, uh, of course, I've uh, been working on Tomo Beast 2, which we shipped to the printer and will be available um, later in the fall, like I mentioned, Um, but as far as a hefty chunk of my actual design work, uh, they are through all of the alien archives that Paizo has published for the Starfinder RPG. I've got a bunch of monsters in Alien Archive 1, 2, and 3. Um, Many of them are weird, creepy, gross things, but a lot of them are building up the mythos of a um, planet in the setting that uh, is my brainchild and my Baby called Dimalco, that's all about uh kaiju and uh giant horrifying uh oh eyeless God. skinless tentacle wormed faced monsters.
0: <laughs> so, oh, uh, Amanda, you're killing me, you've just kicked off so many more panels. Because here's Mike who designed Dark Heresy 40k. We could add 40k versus Starfinder. Oh,
4: yeah, we
2: could have. Oh man, uh, yeah.
0: yeah. All right, so <laughs> Alien Archives, Term of Beast, uh, Mike, your monstrous activity, uh,
3: yeah. I mean. Well, if you want to know about monsters in Call of Cthulhu, then please uh, take a look at uh, the Malleus Monstrorum, which is a two-volume set. One, Volume 1, details hundreds of monsters from the Cthulhu mythos, and Volume 2 details all the gods and alien beings and uh, from the mythos, and there's chapters on how to describe them in your game, how to use them in your game, and to create them So uh, all in still there, uh, you know, as well as, you know, uh, numerous kind of uh, Call of books that, you know, I've worked on over the last uh, few years or so. So, yeah, check, check, check them out at com, and uh, look us up on Facebook and Twitter and I'll see you there, I guess.
0: All right. And Becca, where can we uh, see some more of your horrible, horrible stylings of uh, monstrous uh, description?
1: Oh, man, such an honor that you would call it that. Mark, thank you. Please uh, find me on Twitter and Instagram at Scott, and then my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Society, where I like to torture my friends. Uh, And I uh, hope to be playing uh, Amanda and Mike's incredible work and showing that (laughs) up. Uh, (laughs) More stuff like that will be on the channel soon, so stay tuned. All right.
0: Game on. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, have a fantastic and non-monstrous day, and we will see you at the game table. Farewell. Hurrah. Yay. Bye.
4: <laughs> hey, everybody. Before we wrap up this episode, I'd like to take a minute to say thank you for tuning in. We hope you're enjoying the podcast, from our interviews and actual plays to our rambling roundtable discussions. If you like what you are hear and you'd like to support the show, we have great sponsors for you to check out. Birds of a Feather Coffee Company is a small batch craft coffee roaster and is our OG sponsor. They have three signature blends to choose from. The Morning Lark, which is a light roast. The Night Owl Blend, which is a rich dark roast. And the Hummingbird Decaf Blend. They also have the exclusive Legendary Brew, a nice medium roast coffee, perfect fuel for all those late night gaming sessions. If you use the code LEGENDS10, you'll get 10% off your order and shipping is always free. Thanks everybody for checking it out. We'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.